needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Tie and Velcro. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn, a writer and an X-Files fan. And I am Mild Reed Lobato, a writer and a They Live fan. Ooh. For July 4th, uh, Rihanna and I, my wife and I, had an, an alternative July 4th movie night. So we picked two films which we felt are adequate, for, are good for July 4th, but a kind of counter to sort of the themes and morals and cultural um, rewriting inherent in July the 4th. So we went for Jaws yeah. and They Live. Nice. And she wasn't enjoying like the first part of the film when it's kind of very kind of serious and a bit too close to modern day. But when Rowdy Roddy Piper gets on those sunshades and then starts quipping, including the fight scene. It's it's a classic. And that sounds slightly more slightly more lighthearted and fun than um uh I used to live with an Australian and she decided to show us Australia Day with a film marathon which included a Yahoo serious film. Oh no. I don't know if you've seen them. They're terrible. And nope. then and then to bring the mood right down even further, the film Rabbit Proof Fence. Which oh was, Yeah. No, yeah, that's no, that's an interesting pairing. All I know of Australian TV is like the weird Australian kind of sci fi programs for kids. Yeah. Or um. So or let let's be honest. We're both British. Show neighbors, and then there's Australian cinema, which is fucked up. Man, like, have you ever seen the film Waking Fright? No. It's kind of terrifying, and Donald Pleasance plays a crazy person. Okay. Who likes to be naked? Hmm. But. Like, I, I have yet to see an Australian film which is, like, a romantic comedy. Oh, wait, just that means I... Chill. I'm just chill. Oh, wait, that's Muriel's Wedding, which I've yeah, actually never... Yeah. I've actually never seen Muriel's Wedding. I just know the line, oh, you're hopeless, Muriel, because that's the clip they always play when they're advertising the film. Okay, so there is one. Then. There's one. Unless there's, there's a secret darkness, but we don't know. And there's also an Australian Ultraman show. Oh, which is done in full cooperation with Subaraya, and it's basically it's an Ultraman show, except all the characters in the parts which aren't Ultraman fighting monsters are Australian. So I once rented it out from the from Blockbuster Video, thinking I was going to get the original Ultraman TV show dubbed into English, and said I'm like, what the fuck are all these Aussies doing here? <laughs> okay yeah that's that's weird now luckily this is not an australia podcast this is a star trek podcast and every episode but, but wait, before we before we we leave our australia behind oh dear i worked with straight with some australians when i worked in brighton at the hotel mm -hmm. and when we were setting the tables 
we would do we would we would say knifey the knifey spoony gag about a million times a day and it never got tedious much hmm let's see you played knifey spoony before so yeah yes recently i've been i had a, a brief unintentional stab at for possibly the worst australian accent ever in a game of wonder home we realized we'd made an australian biome for it and trying to be a, a cheerful bartender there and a, a few lines in uh, just seeing one of my players go what are you doing <laughs> I, 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 I i am so sorry <laughs> i'm sorry to you i'm sorry to the people of australia i'm just going to stop now. <laughs> living in america i get mistaken for australian all the goddamn time how often and- do you lean into it uh, none at all, because I'm because I, I usually go because honestly, the difference between English and Australian is that Australians all sound maniacally happy, uh, because they live on they live on an island where everything is going to try and kill them. So I get it; they've yeah. gone Lovecraftian mad. Whereas England, we're just like, yeah, we're fucked, wow. and it's great because there's a lot of Australians in Madison, Wisconsin, and every time they come from, like, yeah, I get mistaken for you all the time, and it's weird, and they're like, don't you don't sound anything like us, mate. I mean, yeah, yeah, I can tell yeah. just by that impression. Um, <laughs> right. Man, six anyway. minutes in, we've not even started on Star Trek. Man, I, yeah, okay, okay. So, right, Star Trek. This is Casual Trek. And each episode, we watch stories from three different Star Trek shows and rank them on a big list of best to worst. We both love Star Trek, but it's far from our first fandom, which makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task. Now, this episode, thanks to the kind donation of Cheryl over at Kofi, we're going to be looking at a specific subject, which is aliens living among us on Earth. I did realize partway through watching and making notes on some of these, it's like Cheryl didn't give us any specific episodes or remits here. So I hope that these are, these are satisfactory episodes about aliens infiltrating us on earth. And in one case, vice versa. Um, But before we go on, Miles, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Well, I have been enjoying, and I've just finished enjoying, as of this weekend, um, a book. I was listening to the audiobook of Holly, the new novel by Stephen King, which takes a character from some of his hard-boiled kind of crime novels he's been doing the last couple of years and gives her basically her own her own spinoff. And it's it's really good. Um, it's incredibly tightly paced, which for a Stephen King novel, um, sounds like a statistical improbability because there is not a word that man does not like to use in his, in his, in his books, not once, not twice, but thrice. And I, I was hooked. Cool. I, (laughs) I, I was a massive fan as a teenager and I've been very slowly reading through kind of interspersed with other books for the last few years i'm currently i've just finished gerald's game and (laughs) as a fan when i was much younger i 
I think the most recent book that I've read of his was Under the Dome. So I've I've missed a lot of King over the years. Um, so I will get there one day. I, I I dip in and out of King. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is where this marathon started maybe thirteen years ago, uh, <laughs> which is how much I dip in and out of King. It's like my marathon of watching all of Doctor Who chronologically started around the same time and uh, then stopped around the demons. Okay. Can I quickly talk about my marathon of Doctor Who? Go on. All right. I am currently on... Hang on a second. I am midway through the Aztecs, which is the sixth William Hartnell serial. And to basically describe it, Watch the road to El- watch the animated film The Road to El Dorado because it's basically the same plot and has less British actors um, browned up. Oh God! It's it's still good for a pure historical, which I've never been a fan of. And William Hartnell plays the only classic Doctor who comes close to getting some. <laughs> he he's a lot punchier. Than, um, like he's a lot more proactive for an old guy than a lot of the doctors. Like, yeah, he's not re- not afraid to hit a person. And yeah, I forget hit, I forget any of him getting his flirt on with anyone in in ancient history. But yeah, good, good, for yeah, him. Good, good on him. So, uh, Charlie, I think your non Star Trek thing has been that you have done a Starfleet. Finally, have- only only twenty nine episodes in. So, you know, um, like I've been part of a union for many years now. Um, I work in the pension industry and I'm part of PCS. And my workplace has made some real shit decisions as far as what they're doing, as far as pay rises and bonuses and that. So, um, yeah, for a generally fairly, you know, pleasant peaceful bunch of people that wouldn't really get all angry or loud about anything it's been really satisfying (laughs) having a couple of weeks of industrial action with them uh as of time of recording it's the last day of picketing so i'm drying out from a rainy morning on the picket line and when you hear this i'm probably going to be preparing for another four weeks of striking as well so, yeah, well, the the employer's been playing hardball with us, which feels stupid at this point, but... Are we talking regular hardball or Starbucks hardball? Uh, literally no conversations, no dialogue about it, mm. just a lot okay. of information which may be leaving some bits in and out for the remaining people, from what I gather. Okay. But, you know, um, yeah, join your unions go on strike if you need to go on strike like unions are how we got things like you know time off of like for weekends lack of child labor maternity leave maternity leave exactly i i rarely um feel the need to go proudly to a parent and go oh look what i've done especially as a a man in his like early mid 40s that kind of thing 
But being able to post a picture of me on the picket line to my family WhatsApp, my stepmother, who is actually part of the same union, but over in a different area, was quite proud. It's like, oh, that's that's nice. Um, I should have clicked, actually, because her Facebook profile picture is a mannequin, one of my father's many mannequins, but with the kind of union tabard that uh that i've been seeing all this last fortnight so yeah it's it's been a nice time well good on you charlie and hopefully um they'll finally get around a table and hash out a deal hopefully 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 yes. it's been what we're in like month three of screen actors guild strikes mm, yes and yeah of course solidarity to them as well and the writers and teamsters and and so on yeah yeah um, best of luck to all of them uh, as always solidarity to any starbucks barista who is having to go through the illegal union busting from starbucks management to get fair treatment in what is a job which is unfortunately seen as menial grunt work for idiots by people who should know better but anyway, this is not an industrial action podcast. That's <laughs> later at the meeting, at the warehouse, at the docks. This yeah, is you apparently know the one. Yeah, you know the one. The wink. warehouse. Wink. A surreptitious wink. And now I'm going to do a surreptitious wink in an audio medium. Wink. Right. Star Trek. Honestly, yeah. 15 minutes in. We've got this. Okay. So uh, we have aliens on earth and we are as frankly is often tradition for us reversing the very theme with our first episode being covered today this is star trek voyager season five episode four titled in the flesh it aired on the 4th of november 1998 written by nick sagan directed by david livingston the UK and US number one hits. Uh, the UK had share with Believe, which was everywhere. Everywhere. Point. Yeah, hate it. Like, it was just nonstop. It felt like, at times, like you could do some sort of torture with it. And then uh, the US had Monica with The First Night, which I... There was a lot of, like, Monica and Brandy and Monica kind of R&B music back in my retail days. I have no memory of this. No, I, I think because we live in a club-heavy town, you know, everywhere you went in Brighton, you probably heard Shares Believe. Yeah. Everywhere. There is also, I added a third song to the list, because I think I this noticed. might be the only episode of Star Trek which is named after, a, which has, shares a name with a Pink Floyd song. Yeah, I, when you first mentioned that, I had a brief look. If anyone can tell us otherwise, please write in somewhere i don't know send a message of pigeon and tell us because that'd be quite exciting so um i guess i'm i'm recapping this one yeah and god help us it's a chakotay episode and one last bit of trivia which i don't know if you picked up is that the writer nick sagan is actually the son of carl sagan oh i wondered if there was any relation there excellent all right Okay, you have five minutes to talk about Star Trek's In the Flesh and not Pink Floyd's In the Flesh 
are part of the wall and engage. So we're at Starfleet Academy. What? In Voyager? Yeah. And Boothby, the gardener's here as well. And Admiral Bullock is giving instructions to new recruits. And off in the distance, who's this? It's Chakotay spying on everyone. Boothby catches Chakotay scanning some trees and starts grilling him about where he came from. Chakotay lies convincingly enough and gets a nice little photo of him as well for, you know, it's a tourist thing. Everyone loves Boothby. He's a thing in Star Trek, I gather. Um, next up, Chakotay moves on to the dullest looking bar in the world and gets his flirt on with Valerie Archer, another Starfleet officer, and she's been reading some Vulcan philosophy. A guy in the bar freaks out and goes a bit purple before he's dragged away. And Valerie breaks character for a moment, asking how Chakotay's doing, uh, like maintaining his physical form, breathing oxygen, stuff they're not used to. He covers up fairly well for that. They talk about maybe having a date and Tuvok comes to pour some cold water on this situation. The pair head off and are caught by an officer called Gentry. Tuvok's got no time for this nonsense. Nerve pinches him and the pair abducts Gentry, beam away, off to safety. And I've got to tell you, when we saw his eyes open and Janeway's there, <laughs> you know it's not long for, for one <laughs> David Gentry. The doctor tries to check him out and see what's up with him, but he kills himself after having a bit of a freak out. Um and yeah, we get actually some explanation about what's going on here. There's a habitat floating in space and it's partial hologram, partial light props and the like. And it's replicating Starfleet and sending signals out, which made Voyager think maybe this is a probe or something. Not, hey, it's a whole entire fake place, which Paris explains. This is like those fake American cities the Russians made during the Cold War. Um the doctor has a bit of a poke around with Gentry, reverses his DNA. And, oh, my God, his species 8472, the CGI species with some real Nintendo 64-ass <laughs> textures, especially on its feet, which look like a wall from Mario 64. It's incredible. Anyway, Janeway at this point is is eager to train weapons on the facility. And Chakotay's like, no, 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 I've got a date. And that's that's fine. That's fair. You know, again, standard Starfleet thing. You can't really get in the way of uh, of a man and a date with an alien. Janeway starts grilling Chakotay, basically waxing nostalgic about her Starfleet days and about his. And he realizes he's being tested to see that he's not an infiltrating 8472 if they can, you know, look like people. He heads out on the Delta Flyer with Kim and Paris, who have a nice bit of a joke, bit of bants about dating an, a Delta Quadrant alien. And Kim, bless him, he just wants a date, you know? Yeah. It's a lonely life for an <laughs> Give him something, for God's sake, Voyager. Come on, guys. Um, Chicote shows up at the date and Boothby's already there. That's kind of weird. But he clears off. And um, yeah, it's off to the club for Pon Far Night. What? <laughs> what the fuck is Pon Far Night? Sadly, we'd never know. Instead, we go back to Valerie's, and like any right thinking person, the first thing you do when you go round to a woman's place is check out her bookshelves. Not a euphemism. Um, she kind of <laughs> admires some human art, music, and literature. 
Um, but she's worried humans are going to blindly attack anyone who's not part of the Federation. Uh, she goes off to have a shower and stabilize her body again. And he starts checking out her computer. Not a euphemism. Not a euphemism <laughs> again. Um, yeah. And he starts making his excuses to leave. Uh, when she shows up with a knight and asks, is he enjoying the view? Is Chakotay going to fuck a Species 8472? Sadly, no. And there's a really awkward kiss goodbye instead. And she uses that DNA to scan him and call it into Boothby. Because, yeah, she's figured it out. He's actually a real person, not a fake person. Everyone's in freakout mode. They switch for simulation from nighttime to daytime to better catch him and drag him away. Um, it's time for an interrogation over a single malt, which, frankly, as a whiskey fan, I find rather civilized. The 8472 don't believe that Voyager's alone. Uh, don't believe that they're here without oh. intent. Oh. Ooh. Oh. Oh, dear. So close. Ah. They I swear, saying 8472 repeatedly. Eight, could four, have seven. named them literally anything. It is so annoying. Bob. Yeah, alien, Bob. Alien Bob. Yeah, Bob. fuck it. Name Bob after the old kids cartoon. I mean, we've not seen the start of the introduction of them. I assume there's a good reason or something. Or or just they couldn't be asked. Uh, I think they were found by... They were first discovered by the Borg. Uh. And the Borg are very boring. So Borg had dibs. I mean, yeah. That's the problem. Borg get everywhere. There are going to be some incredibly dully named species. Anyway. 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 Mm. Okay. Uh, put down your 200-year-old malt. Oh. And I've got a stopwatch going and wrap it up. Okay. So, as I said, the 8472 don't believe... Uh, any of Chakoto's claims about how Voyager's alone and it's not hostile. They decide this is also a good time to extract some of Chakoto's DNA. So they are going to fuck them. Anyway, up on Voyager, Janeway still wants to solve this without killing anyone, which Seven is really doubtful about. And um, while she wants to get murdering them, they don't actually have many Borg nanoparticles left. Uh, back down on the simulation. Unfortunately, it is a just a, an injection-based in extraction. And uh, Chakotay starts quoting George Bernard Shaw about how basically they can't keep spying on each other and preparing for war, as the only thing they will get from that is a war. Um, Janeway gets in touch with Boothby, and she wants Chakotay and a bit of an explanation for this and really does want to keep up for threats. Let's just have a meeting like civilized people. And all the big named 8472 infiltrators head up to Voyager. Boothby has a good moan. Apparently they got a cranky old man to play the cranky old man. Assuming 8472 can have cranky old men. Anyway, none of them care for Seven being there because she's Borg and think that's a sign of collaboration. They don't like the Borg mods to the ship. Janeway explains 8472 aren't that special. No one, no one's heard of them over in, in our bit of the galaxy. And um, rather than deal with any of this paranoia, she just lowers the weapons as a bit of an olive branch. And Valerie says, yeah, you caught us. We were going to do some recon and infiltration of Starfleet. So everyone decides time for a do-over. Boothby wants to see the Borg tech. Janeway wants to see the genetic alteration stuff. And she is over the moon about the, the new 
challenges, things like shaking hands with an 8472, given, you know, they're all weird CGI in that. Uh, Seven's dubious about it, but she's dubious about a lot. And um, yeah, Tuvok sent down for simulation, as is Neelix, which feels like a war crime in itself. And um, Boothby says, yeah, my bosses are going to be real weird about this. Oh, well, and gives a nice synthetic rose to Janeway, which is a similar thing to what Bo- the real Boothby did to Janeway back in the day. And um, yeah, Chakotay says goodbye to Valerie. Maybe they'll have a second date in fluidic space. Uh, she kisses him again. And this time she's got the hang of it. The end. Two minutes and 41 seconds. Yeah. Um, so mm. did you did you recognize the actress who plays Valerie Archer? She looked familiar. She's Ellen Ty in in um in Y two K Battlestar Galactica. Oh fuck! Of course. Oh, she's great fun. <laughs> like she's entertaining in this, but yeah. Ellen Ty is is a hilarious character. Um, I've played her multiple times in the Battlestar board game as well, which is also equally worrying and hilarious whenever she pops up. And um, apparently the, the actor who plays uh, Boothby um, was on the show My Favourite Martian, which is one of those kind of US like 1950s sitcoms I only really know through cultural osmosis. Huh. I've never heard of that. It's it's like one of those kind of like you know he he's a Martian and he's hiding out on Earth and he's a straight laced um young man and he's like a a very old slightly effeminate um old man and they live together. The joke is everyone thinks they're a gay couple. Right. Wow. You know this is, this is 1950s America. Okay. Um, I love a a show a good in media rares. Oh and yeah! This, this one, this one starts off running. I and, love that, and I love that there are things wrong, and you can tell that things are wrong immediately. Like all the Ferengi hanging around Starfleet Academy. Well, that's the thing. Like at this point, we know of Nog, and that's yeah. it. And I know other Ferengi join after that, but yeah, it was like, yeah, it was interesting seeing seeing their attempts at being people. Like, um, it was, some of them really got into it. Yeah. Like, this is some very intense vampire LARP. It really is. Oh, my God. Are they just going to keep it around for, like, a human LARP <laughs> now? Especially, well, especially with things like Archer. And it's like, was she named after the other, after Captain Archer? Yeah. You know, it's, well, so, it's a big name, after all, in Starfleet so, terms. So so what, what, what would this LARP be called? Um, humans, the... The fleshening. Uh. I mean, that's the thing. They're not used to that kind of flesh or air or anything like that. Or or, or not being telepathic, which is good for Chakotay. Um, Like, I I got the Ferengi thing, like with the Vulcan nightclub upon Far Night, is that they're clearly just going with what they got and they're getting it wrong. And we're just, and like, we're just meant to pick up on it because, like, on Farnight, that just sounds really kind of not right. Yeah, yeah, that's... I've been reading Extreme X-Men, which has been going into a gladiatorial arc at the moment, and I can't help but feel it's like... Oh, sorry, a gladiatorial arc in a weird fetish nightclub. Um, and it's like, it, how how close is Pon Farnight, you know? <laughs> it's, it's going to be 
for most sensuous and violent that Vulcans have ever been. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I liked... I know it's come out over the years that uh, Jerry Ryan and Kate Mulgrew did not have the best working relationship at the time of filming. I gather Hatchet has been buried yeah. over the years. But it it still makes for an interesting dynamic, the, the way the two of them have been. And while Seven is good to not just be combative alien, you know, she is there to do space maps mostly. Um, that kind of instinct of, fuck, no, these guys are serious. They're a big threat. We really, we shouldn't be negotiating with them versus the, the kind of utopian attitude of... Um, of Janeway, even someone that's lived through what four or five years of being out in the middle of nowhere with some incredibly extreme situations at times, going, no, fuck it, right? Diplomacy. Now we're now we're talking. The, the diplomacy, know? but let's make sure we have a well-equipped gun just in case. Oh yeah, um, yeah. God, it's a shame that they're not like this level of diplomacy hasn't opened up at the time that you have. Uh, ships like the Cerritos, because se imagine second contact with the eight four seven two from that <laughs> lot. That that would be great, especially in the weird, you know, humans for breathing kind of simulation. So yeah, like this this one this one's really kind of good. Like I I love that we it starts off. We don't know what's going on. We just know that something's off. Mm. And you know, I I think Star Trek just has a tendency to. Like, you start when they arrive at the problem, and we're just going to see the problem unfold. But here we have, like, Chakotay, who's going around doing some uh, Ratty Roddy Piper and they live kind of shit, except at no point does Chakotay say, put on those sunglasses or start eating that trash can. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one for that. The drip feed, I really appreciate. Yeah, like, I, I wish more Star Trek was written like this mm. where we where we're seeing the story unfold in such a way because it really felt like kind of a shot in the arm yeah it was good the guy who played bullock uh tucker smallwood i think he was was he suffering bell's palsy or something during that um i remember it, it being said about how if he seems quite stiff and quite kind of formal there, a lot of it is working through. Yeah. That. And fuck it. He owns it. Mm. Like, it. It works for the role. It works basically. for the role. He, he does a good job with that. So yeah, it's an, I mean, it's a fairly basic, he like, he's the straight man of the, of the piece there you know boothby is is an old weird crank who's obviously in charge archer's kind of fascinated with humanity so you need someone that is her opposite effectively oh uh he was a he was in the um a recurring character on space above and beyond uh, another uh, another i don't know if if it should be called a classic but another old science fiction show that i never saw I think it's could best be described as like a cult fave. Um, it basically got in the UK. Um, it got the graveyard slot where BBC mm. and ITV just they like they buy this show 
and just go, right, we have nowhere to put this. It's a bit too out there because we don't really like to do sci-fi. So we're just going to put it on at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. And there's our, there's our sale. There's our contractual obligation done. Hey, exciting teenager that I was. Quantum Leap in about that sort of a slot was was a thing like one of the early things that i would set my timer on my vhs <laughs> player to record oh no when i first started getting into babylon 5 which was mm. i started with season four um because that's sure that season was a bit um a bit more darker a bit more violent than babylon 5 which was i remember that one always being kind of like a sunday five o'clock channel four slot it was on thursday night at let ten in the evening, so that was a um, set my video, set my VHS. Like God, I remember, like X Force used to have like the Monday nine o'clock on BBC mm. Two. Then when it got popular for a while, it got shunted to eight o'clock on BBC One on a Saturday, where it did terribly, and then just crept back. Then got put on Sunday nights, if I remember. Uh, see, old favorite of mine, Lost. Everyone remembers the first two seasons as that was Channel 4. The moment it got popular enough to get bought by Sky, no oh. one saw it. Yep. Um, and that's when it started improving. <laughs> me me and my stepdad did. We, my, my stepdad and I watched all of Lost as it came out. That was our bo- that and Fringe was mm. like our regular father-son bonding. Yeah, the acquisition of Lost was uh was what got me through all of that and then the finale i actually stayed up and the moment that it became available on certain locations um i i acquired it i think i spent a day off work <laughs> afterwards the moment it arrived i could see it um and you know i don't regret that despite everything anyway back to this episode I feel like we've spoken about most of the things that come up for it because it's it is very much what it says on the tin. Yeah, what happens? Like I loved the little bit of banter with Kim and Paris. Like normally those two are a fairly self-contained unit, but actually you add uh, Chakotay in there, and like maybe they should have done that a bit more because yeah. Chakotay is a bit shit. Like Robert Beltran is a bit shit, but Chakotay's... Chakotay is just kind of... He's there. just there. Like, he doesn't really do anything, like, you know... Like, occasionally he'll he'll have slightly warry kind of things, and sometimes people will remember, oh yeah, the Marquis exists. And, um, yeah, otherwise he's just just about. Just there. Having him be the straight man dealing with Kim and Paris's bullshit, a proof of that. That's good. It gives Tuvok the day off, and <laughs> um, and also the Delta Flyer. I know I've seen episodes where it exists, but also, um, I don't remember seeing the inside and how how junky it is. It's the kind of thing that they're not making these when they get home. Like this no. isn't a make of ship. This is what they did with what they've got. This, this is Tom Paris, in, in, like in the prop department. This is this is Tom Paris basically going right. I'm going to make myself a custom car. Yeah, and... yeah he's hit that point 
in life, you know, that midlife point where if you've got the tools and the inclination, you build or repair a car. There you it's, go. It's either a car or like you make your own um, desktop tower. Oh, God. Yeah, with all the glowy bits. Oh, he, oh he my would brother's de- PC glows in, in impressive oh, no, he, in different ways every time I go uh, up. And, Tom, and sure Tom Paris would definitely build a rig uh-huh. to farm Bitcoin. Oh, no, he would. The sad thing is, I like Tom Paris, but yeah, he would easily, like, all his apes would be gone. Uh, no, no, Harry Kim is the one who's dumb enough to fall for NFTs. <laughs> he, he, he He'd be he talked can... <laughs> into it by Tom Paris, who thinks he could do re- well out of it. Like, who thinks he could, like, this yeah. is an opportunity. And like, then, yeah. He, like, to put it that way, even Neelix is just like, NFTs, no, no. Neelix is just like, nope, I've done this scam before. Yeah, of course probably has and that's oh. why for planet they find him on is a horrific desert <laughs> oh god i think it's a good thing that we're never gonna get any more only fools and horses because you know there would be an episode where del boy gets into gets into both crypto and nfts oh. and you know the only person he can find to buy his nfts is trigger i mean what you're talking there is like yeah the the cool modern reboot <laughs> of it you know, kind uh, of, yeah, the next generation of it. Um, on that oh, terrifying that? Wait, note. wait, so it would be his son, Damien Trotter. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> like, yeah, I guess you could short it to Damo Trotter. Oh, God, Dame. Dame Trotter. All right, Dame. D, D, all right, Dame. Let's let's not manifest this. Okay, <sighs> let's... Let's do our best to never. Let, let's never let's not it. manifest the Guy Ritchie produced Only Fools and Horses reboot sequel. Oh, I'm 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 withering and dying just at the thought of any of this. Do you um, know what won't make you wither and die? Why what? Ranking this episode on the big list. Why do you mean our big list of best to worst Star Trek episodes and occasionally films? Yes. Um. So far, it is seventy one. Episodes soon to be 74, with number one being Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, um, beating out Emissary, which has been in the top spot for 25 episodes, our longest showing, all the way down to episode 71, Strange New Worlds Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach, which has 100% too much child death. And so... With that as our benchmark criteria, where does In the Flesh go? That's a good question. First of all, I would like to give yourself and me a virtual pat on the back, because this means last episode, we did put something in the 69th place. (laughs) I don't think we brought it up. (laughs) Nice. Okay, so... um, where have we got with Voyager? Like we've got, I think our best showing is Drone mm. at eighteen. Is it better than Drone? Like Drone's got some good moments. This one is kind of fun. I like, I've I, been led to believe eight four seven two were fucking dull. Um, I'm not sure why. It's it's a, a vague residual memory I have. It, it, but... It's the it's the PS one graphics. Yeah, that doesn't help. Oh well. 
we'll get into that later on as well. I honestly preferred this one a hell of a lot more yeah. than Drone. Um, okay, one last thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Truman Show-esque moment when they say, let's switch from night to day. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun moment. Um, I wasn't... Like, it didn't feel as hokey as some night to day kind of things. Uh, yeah. Effects. Yeah, God, 1998 Truman Show. So this was for around the same kind of time. All right, so big list. Yes. So drone is number eighteen, which is um, it's a surprising. very good showing. That's uh, yeah. So we've mm. got the we got the cage, which is also about um, it's which is also about terrible. A, a Starfleet member trying to not have sex with an alien. It's so difficult in Starfleet. Uh, that's yeah. just normally the way they do things. <laughs> I mean, we've got a mock time at number 15, which is one of the peak hornies of Star Trek. <laughs> one of the peak hornies. Oh my <laughs> god. I I never needed I never wanted to hear that. Okay. Um right, so I think it's probably better than the cage. Like it's less problem is it's less important than the cage yeah as far as i'm aware i don't know if there's actually going to be any consequence for this alliance between them and the 8472 whether it'll take or anything like that um so like would it beat it on quality over significance um i Significance, no quality. Oh, like the cage is rewatchable, hmm. but I admit that sometimes the cage is rewatchable for all the wrong reasons. Like it's fun to watch the cage to see Spock just shout and shout everything, including the women. Um, on that set, that lovely shaky that, set, the lovely shaky set. Your your Renfair Planet Castle Planet. Yeah. Yes, so turn to in Strange New Worlds at one point. Yeah, um, so oof. I yeah. don't know because like I think I would watch both of these on a whim. I think I would probably watch the cage more. Because I admit sometimes I just like watching old sixties television more than watching old nineties television. Fair. Okay. Um and that's the thing. Between the the kind of sitting down watching it after a you know it's been a day at work you want to sit a chill a watch a thing you would go for cage over over that and the significance of it i think maybe it just maybe it just sneaks in between cage and drone then yeah i'm 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 down cool so that puts it at the new number 18 that's you know a list as big as ours that's quite a good showing and again, like Voyager creeping up there on the list. So that's nice. All right. There we go. Number 18. Yeah. So next up on our list is an episode of Star Trek Enterprise. It's been a little while since we've seen this lot. 
And to be honest, you won't see most of them in this episode, as it was the, I think, the first one that came to mind with this theme of aliens among us. There were a few we could have done, which were a bit more time travel based. But, you know, we... I feel a lot of them have their own episode coming anyway. Even so, we've got some fun some fun blasts of a past of Earth with Enterprise Season 2, Episode 2, titled Carbon Creek. This aired on the 25th of September 2002. Teleplay by Chris Black. Story by uh, Ricky B himself, <laughs> along with Brandon Braga and Dan O'Shannon. And it was directed by James Contner. Every time you heard the name Dan O'Shannon, did you think find yourself thinking of Dan O'Bannon, the guy who wrote Dark Star and Alien, and also created uh, Farscape? Man, I am a massive Alien fan and a big Farscape fan, so you know I thought exactly that. Let's I was like, what... no, no, it's not. It's not that one. Okay. Oh. Um. So yeah, and the number one hits were. Atomic Kitten with the Tide is High, brackets, get the feeling, close brackets, for the UK. And the US had Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland with Dilemma. Yeah, again, these are fucking 2002-ass tracks, Yeah, if ever I heard them. There has got to be a point when we hit peak Coldplay with Enterprise, and it's just going to be Coldplay. don't, don't, Don't encourage that. I I hope not. Like we had after years of Buskers only doing Hallelujah around these parts, awesome Oasis. We had Oops. our first Coldplay busker in a while recently, and oh no, I, don't don't bring it back. Oh, I, I do miss I do miss Brighton's um, many 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 buskers. Neither of these tracks didn't like Nelly was one of those ones where I've never been his biggest fan, but this is. So evocative of when I was working retail. Yeah. Same with Atomic Kitten. It's like, oh God, I forgot they existed. Yep. It's like this is this is stuff I was hearing at, in the student union at college. When you really didn't want to. Yes. Yeah. Hooray for having headphones now and being able to block out, you know. Mm. Like where I write often ends up having the blandest worst hits. Behold, train. Behold, Maroon Five, <laughs> and being able to block that out with literally anything else is quite so, nice. Before we get off the music section for this episode, mm. who do you find more obnoxious, Coldplay or Ed Sheeran? Um. Okay, so Coldplay. After the breakup with Gwyneth Paltrow, there were some there were some good tracks. I will say that, like that seemed to be a kind of instead of a, <laughs> a breakup album, "Woe Is Me," or a, a kind of Usher breakup album. You know, I acted like a real shit. It it seemed to be a breakup. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I liked that energy. You know, it still isn't a thing I'd generally be a fan of. But I, yeah, I appreciated that. So yes, and on that note, uh, you know what else I'd appreciate? It's that uh, we actually that we do our job. I mean, yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, so you have five minutes to recap Carbon Creek. 
So let's go back to, I was going to say back for future, but no, it's back for past. Of I don't know. Just go. Right. On the Enterprise, um, Archer, Tucker, and DePaul have a nice little dinner to celebrate that DePaul is currently at one year the longest reigning Vulcan to have ever served on a human ship, which before was like two weeks, ten days. Archer's been finding out her evaluation, and he notices that she was on vacation and she went to uh, a small mining town in Pennsylvania called Carbon Creek. And it goes, hey, why? And T'Pol goes, well, you know how um, humans and Vulcans first met in 2063? And they go, yeah, there was a whole movie about it. It was quite nice, and it was quite a lovely little moment. And um, Led Zeppelin, no, not Led Zeppelin, Steppenwolf played on the soundtrack. And T'Pol goes, that was actually all bullshit. Alan Moore time, everything you knew about First Contact was a lie. Oh, no. Oh, yes. And it turns out that Vulcans actually went to Earth in the 1950s. What? Credits. Oh, one of our more tolerant times. One of our more tolerant times for America. Mm. So, um, we now flash back to a Vulcan survey ship, which is checking out Sputnik in 1957. The, um, the crew consists of the captain, who is going to die in a minute, so he's not important. Tamir, who is played by, for, who for all intents and purposes is play, is T'Pol, and played by Jolene Ballock. She is, um, T'Pol's second grandmother. And then we have Mestrel, and then we have Mo. That's not his name, but he's referred to as Mo, so Mo he shall be. The ship crashes on Earth, killing the captain, told you, and um, Tamir, Mestral, and Mo are left stranded out in the Pennsylvania wilderness. Um, they run out of food rations really quickly, and they might consider having to eat meat in order to survive. Vulcans are notoriously vegetarian. Tamir and Mestral decide to sneak into the nearby town, steal some clothes, and try and black some food. Um, they do this. They go to a local bar and grill, and they just they they are those customers who come in to a bar and immediately abuse the free nuts privileges. Terrible. They gets they get some money by Mestral. Um, immediately goes right. I know how to be a pool hustler. It's all about geometry. And he immediately cr goes into a rendition of that great scene of Fresh Prince where James Avery just pulls a cue from out of his pants and hustles an entire room of people at pool. Having got some money, they get themselves an apartment. They get themselves some jobs. Um, Tamir works in the bar brushing. Um, Mestral works in the local coal mine. And Mo becomes a plumber for this one lady who clearly wants a slice of Mo. Mestrel is kind of really liking it. He's going native. He's become a fan of television and spends all his free time watching TV. Tamir has kind of resigned herself to being stuck here. And Mo is grumpily trying to build a subspace communications system. But Mestrel has gone native in all that one in more than than has been expected. He has he's been going out to watch base a baseball game, and to snog the um the owner of the bar, whose son is going to college, but they're trying to raise the money. 
Tamir's upset with this and tells Mestral to back off. Mean then there's an explosion at the coal mine and a oh, bunch wow. of miners are trapped. Mestral immediately runs back to the ship to try and find like a weapon to kind of phaser through the rocks. Um, Tamir and Mo are like, we, we can't do this. We'll be discovered. And Mestral's like, I don't care about being discovered. I, it's the right thing to do. These humans might seem primitive to you, but they have this great empathy, which I find really fascinating. I want to, I want to study further. Mo buggers off home. Mo doesn't really do much this episode. And Tamir and Mestral are able to free the miner, free and save 12 of the miners. Oh. Oh. Oh, we're at time. Oh, those miners. Well, yeah. At least it's not anything like the mining storylines in Riverdale which mostly involved weird cosmic rocks and sacrifices of people. That was the normal show compared to, like, Sabrina, which was the magical one. Anyway, yeah. on that note, I'll, I'll start the stopwatch. There we go. And a go. They get, a, they get a message from a Vulcan ship, which has finally got the message and has come to rescue them. Um, Tamir and Mo are really happy that they're going. Mestral is very huffy. He actually wants to stay, despite the fact that it would be really dangerous for him to do so. Um, he's not doing it just to stay with Matt, to stay with Maggie. He actually wants to explore the planet. He wants to check out one of the big cities, like read their books, like drink their beer. Um, Tamir, having befriended Jack, um, the, the young son who's off to college, but who hasn't got enough money to pay his student loans. Um, Tamir goes to a patent office and patents Velcro by doing this, by walking into a patent office and just opening and closing a Velcro strap about three, four times before just going, get it, huh? That, right. Huh? Get it, get it. On a, in, uh, on a slight note, the last name of the man who invented uh, Velcro is actually Mestral. Oh. That, yeah, there we go. Um, and then she takes that money from the patent and bungs it all in the jar so Jack can go to college and study meditation and astronomy. Um, the Vulcan ship lands. Tamir and Mo leave. Mestral, Tamir explains, died, also died in the crash and had to be cremated. And Tamir flies off back into space. Cut back to present day Archer and Trip are like, huh. you're kidding us, right? And T'Pol's like, yeah, I'm just kidding, just joshing, just doing a classic Vulcan comedic shape. And Archer goes, ha ha, you sure got one on us? And T'Pol goes back to her office and from her drawer takes out the same purse that Tamir had on Earth. It was. It wasn't a jape. It was all real. I say. And of Mestral, there was no sign. No. And that is the story of how first contact actually happened. Right. So yeah, that's two minutes. Oh, two minutes twelve. And Mars, was there one Vulcan too many in this story? At first, I thought yes. But then I realized that given the general Vulcan attitude towards humans that we see mm. in Enterprise, that you needed a Vulcan 
who was just sort of grumpy and hated it and just had the same kind of superior attitude that all humans were primitive? I I guess. I think, like, Topol's ancestor felt like the middle ground between Mestral of going, we need to interact with them just to be able to survive and do everything, and then yeah. Mo going, no, I'm no, alone and angry here, and and not like any of it. Like she didn't feel too too big, too invested either way. I don't know. Like as far as characters, they were fine. Obviously, this was more Mestral's story as far as like framing wise. It felt like his growing of like his love of earth and of humanity was good to see Uh, this this felt really much felt like a twilight zone episode definitely yeah and that there there are there are quite a few twilight zone episodes which do have aliens living among us on a are they benevolent are they malevolent are they all just working at a diner yes yes and yes but yeah, like I, I really enjoyed this episode. It was, it was fun. It sets up the story, kind of pieces out at the end, but like I, mm. I felt that it presents the show as nicely and as kind of, I don't want to say blandly, but it's a very cozy show with like the the big the big like third act kind of uh, conflict, um, being the mining disaster. And Mestral going, we have to help these people. With Tamir and Mo going, yeah, no, we don't really have to. And Mo just buggering off. And Tamir just kind of helping from outside. It's that thing of, yes, in that moment for the humans, it was high stakes. But for the Vulcans, it was, we can obviously deal with this. This is easy, but that's not where the challenge lies. Um, It was definitely a fun conflict for that of... Oh shit, but should we though? You know, yeah. you normally see these sorts of first contact scenarios specifically from Starfleet, and we know where Starfleet's attitudes are and what Starfleet does in these kind of situations. So seeing an entire different species handling it, especially with, you know, the attitudes of Vulcans in Enterprise being a lot more rigid and hostile than than they get even in the original series. What what did you think of Jolene, what uh, Balak asked? I have not seen enough Enterprise, and from, from what I've seen, she's good, although sometimes it feels like she's framed in a much more objectified way than I think the show really should. Yeah, oh god, definitely. It feels like, you know, um, I forget where it was we were talking about enterprise and about how basically there was a comic called 52 where it was these four writers who were working together it was what mark wade greg rucker jeffrey johns and And morrison grant morrison the legend they were all working together with keith given doing roughs for tons of different artists and dan didio oversaw it as the kind of the boss of it all and he didn't care for it and 52 was a really fascinating look at um the comics at the time at what was happening in this year where the big big name superheroes were elsewhere and it was a critical darling but 
when a sequel came out called Countdown, Dan DiDio always has always framed this as 52 done right. Because for him, it was A. Wright framing it up. And it was so much more editorially controlled, despite being utter garbage. And Enterprise being uh, Berman and Braga's darling. You know, you hear on the Shuttlepod show, the first positive words I've ever heard about Rick Berman are on that show because the, the cast were treated well there. And it feels like they Berman and Braga were so much closer involved at this point compared to DS9 especially, but also Voyager a bit, that that control being exercised and that positivity about dealing with it all and being there meant that it was very much of a countdown to the 52 of things like your DS9 and your Voyager. And as such, like Jolene Blalock is the seven of nine of this, of can we have an attractive woman who is put in a cat suit and wandering around? And she was a model first. Like it sounded like she had pretty much no acting experience prior to the start. And given I've mainly only seen the earliest episodes of Enterprise, it kind of shows. She's definitely improved by this point, but she's still a bit a bit stiff with it all. And I know Vulcan. Yeah. That, but out of this and the other episode we'll be doing shortly, she's definitely improved by that point as well. It's just, yeah, not quite um not quite there yet yeah like like i i i had fun i had fun with this episode it just kind of feels like i i really don't have much to say i had fun with this episode it you know yeah like it feels like an episode that could have come out in tos era almost yeah you know it's the level of plot the level of story is a lot more kind of yeah as you said it's cozier it's fairly low it's it's like None of the characters we are we know and love are in the show. Like we're basically is watching this TV play about mm. free aliens living on Earth. They just happen to be Vulcans from Star Trek. Yeah. Speaking of which, Mestral made Velcro and was left there in the fifties. No. Sorry, to Paul made Velcro. Tamir made Velcro. Tamir. Whatever. To to Paul. Vul- you know. Vulc- Vulcans invented Velcro. Vulcans invented Oh god. Vulcans invented Velcro. But Mestral was left behind and has, you know, money and life and all of that. Is like what Forrest Gump type adventures <laughs> is Mestral going to have? Like he's he's long lived, you know, he'll live longer than you know, um, his girlfriend and and stepson. Well, um, he kind of he kind of implies he's just going to travel. Like yeah. he's not going to stay in Carbon Creek. Like he like he's just going to ditch her. And I don't yeah. know. I, I like to imagine he just goes and hangs out with Kerouac and Burroughs and Ginsburg for a couple <laughs> of years. Well, like I, I, straight lace friend. Yeah, like I, I I like to imagine that he hangs out with like the Beatles. Like That's you know, we, we find out that he invented the mop top. Exactly. Like, he, like he's in the cavern. He's in the cavern club, and they're like, and they'll come. Let's look around. And go, what? What do we? We need like a fashion thing. And yeah, it's pointed to me. They point at Mestral and go like that, and invents <laughs> the mop top. Oh, I'd love that. 
Okay, so yeah. Yes, I, I don't know what extended content is made these days, especially of Enterprise. I assume there aren't any like that. But yeah, someone make that. Make that story. <laughs> Mestral uncovered the Watergate. Oh, that'd be great. I'm actually, I'm just saying that because they did that in an episode of Quantum Leap. Ah. That we find out that uh, it was Sam who accidentally uncovered, led to the uncovering of the Watergate breakings. <laughs> okay, well, on on that note, where does Carbon Creek belong on here? Now we have. Um, having to scroll down the list, this is we've not done a massive amount of enterprise as of this episode. We are four point three percent through all of enterprise on our our lists. There will need to be more in the future, but uh, the Andorian incident is um, in place number thirty seven. That's thirty seven out of seventy two. I think, like, I love Jeffrey Combs. I, I liked the Star Trek of it all. I I wonder if this might be a bit better. I I think it's a bit better because it's not. It, it's a very t- it's a very Star Trek story, but it's mm. also not a very Star Trek story because it's being told because it's being presented by the possibility that it is an unreliable narrator. You don't have to go for very sort of traditional incident drama conflict. Like yeah. you know, if if it was the the main cast stuck in the past, that they would play up much more the threat of being discovered. Yeah, and... this is why I figured this work this worked with this theme, mm. while not and wasn't a time travel episode. So you know, again, we'll get to time travel when we get to time travel. But this kind of flashback was quite a nice, uh, consequence free look at it all. And it's nice to see Vulcans, where we have the Vulcans as the as the outsider, but we don't have the um the middle ground of someone who knows them like Kirk or Bones, or Art or or Pike. So and so you see them having to gain an understanding of humans in their own right, and you see Mestral kind of really growing to like their empathy and the nature of who they are Tamir I think she kind of realizes that humans have that same capacity for intellectualism and spirituality that Vulcans have and Mo just wanted to go home yeah and it's it's quite nice and quite interesting seeing seeing multiple different perspectives even though Enterprise can quite often frame every like humans as the only thing and everyone else is is other flipping that in this case and having humans as the alien perspective being witnessed by these guys and that they are all different you know like yeah like we we humans are all different and um yes it's quite nice for that and Um, it's not it's nice that all the humans we get with the exception of like the the poor hustler at first who um hustle, tries to hustle a date out of Tamir. We have no we have no bad guy. There is there is no guy who's trying to. There's no 1950s red scare American trying to uncover these guys thinking they're communists or whatever. It's just they're like, hey, you're part of the town. 
Like, the most negative we get in the latter half of the episode is one coal miner who's kind of grumpy that Mestral's not coming out to baseball games anymore. And he is the closest we get to a human villain. Well, yeah, because you don't need that. And yes, this is the 50s. Yes, you know, there's there's going to be paranoia. There's going to be racism. There's going to be a lot of that. That is not something that should be entirely forgotten about or erased. But at the same time, this didn't need, you know, um, a big bad. No, like, like the negative aspects of humanity, as we see in the episode, is basically the global stage yeah. and the events out of the out of control of the people of the small town, who are all just are, are all just nice and folksy. Yeah, well, that fear of nuclear Armageddon that the Vulcans witness, and even the humans there even the people in the village are a bit like yeah that's not great because it's not the threat of of you know like oh look nukes exist fucking hell um yeah that was that was interesting to see that there was a kind of unanimous view of of that as something a big existential threat Mm. uh so I was skimming up going, okay, is it going to be pretty far up? And the problem of having a fairly top-heavy list is we've got, like, the Andorian incident. And just a few a few spots up, we've got such wonders as the Forsaken with Odo and Luxana Troy in a lift. Or where Pleasant Fountains lie with the LARP ship. And with Jeffrey Combs, once again, being magnificent as Agamus. Like, I... Th- and I think it's almost more comparable in Forsaken in being more of an interesting thing than some wacky space bullshit. It, it's, a, it's a character study. It is. It is. Not necessarily character we know, but... It's a play. It's a one-off play. Yeah. God, I know we had short tracks, but I kind of... It would be fascinating if they did that sort of thing, like an anthology show. Mm. Go like, okay, let's do some, some one-off... Let's single. let's explore like the edges and the bits we don't see in the Star Trek universe because we're just our our shows are all about big, exciting, daring do on spaceships and space stations. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like life on a star base, or mm. okay, let's just follow a Klingon mission. How about like a an episode based on those outpost scientist guys who who only live to be on outposts doing science? Hell yeah. Like they, I'd I hope they're living their best lives, mm. um, and th- and that they're wearing belts. Yeah. So okay, is do you, would you put this then as better or worse than the Forsaken? Mm, I know we talked uh, we talked up the Forsaken a bit. This might be a little better than the Forsaken in my yeah. eyes, just because I. I have trouble remembering the whole pup half of it. Yeah, you know, there's, there's the scene in the lift, but there is the scene in the lift. And it's that's, like that's the main feature. Like this, like the Forsaken. This would definitely be like um, Matt said last week. This is an episode that teenage Miles would have been bored by, mm-hmm. but I really like. I really enjoyed it. See, I think in a way that a lot of that is the mission of this all over that 
I saw so much of this, so much Star Trek as a kind of between about 15 and early 20s. And I know early 20s, Charlie had some real dog shit opinions and takes <laughs> on the popular culture. And be okay, Ch- Charlie, be honest. <sighs> Did you use the term friend zone unironically? In your early 20s, it's it's okay to admit it. I mean, it wasn't as much for a thing there. I know I had some dog shit takes on Tolkien mm, oh. at that point. You know, your, your real generic kind of, you know, oh, eagle oh, it's all, kind of. Oh, it's all walking and mountains. Why didn't they use the... Why didn't they fly the eagles to the mountain? Oh. It was like, they, they established this. Um, yeah, the eagles can't... Like, you can't storm Mordor with fucking eagles. Exactly. Exactly. It's that the answer is in the text, guys. It's yeah, it's actually right read the books, read the books and watch the films and actually pay attention, not just try and look for For gotchas. Hey guys, here's a tip for media consumption. Stop reading it or watching it looking for immediate hot takes for your BuzzFeed articles. Yeah. Or your angry Twitter friends. Oh, well. But yes, on that note, I think 32 is a good spot for it. Just yep. above the Forsaken. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting you... thinking, I wonder if, if Matt's going to hear this and go, what? Oh, above that. But that such is the nature of the beast. Maybe one day we'll get an episode of Enterprise, which actually makes it into the top 30. I mean... Yeah, that would be fascinating to see. Yeah, but not that one. It did It did all right. Right, well, now for our third episode. I know we normally try to cover three different shows, but there was one show more than the others that featured aliens on Earth, and that is Star Trek Enterprise. Season 4, Episode 3, Home, covers it. Um... In some different ways from Carbon Creek. And um, yeah, this aired on the 22nd of October 2004. It's written by Michael Sussman, directed by Alan Croker. And the number one hits, the UK had Robbie Williams with Radio. And the US had uh, Kiara with Goodies. Now, I can't remember which Robbie Williams one that is. I figured I had limited time. I wouldn't listen to it, and hopefully it'd come back to me. But it really hasn't. It, it's a uh, whatever happened to Robbie Williams? He seems to just vanish off the face of the earth. Oh, and... he's he's on uh, YouTube adverts for Felix. Oh in, god, like mid rolls of of things. So he's at that stage of his career. Um, like I like yeah. this might this one of those things. Like you know, Robbie Williams. Like when at the height of you know, take that Robbie Williams like solo career, you think this guy is like a international rock guy and I moved to America because like no one knows who the fuck Robbie Williams is. They've never say, heard they've never heard the majesty of Millennium. Wow. Um I mean that said yeah, like I remember a point where Angel was playing nonstop, not only on radios, but Whenever you had like a, a funeral scene in a TV show or anything like that, it was always Robbie Williams' Angels, and uh, you just get desensitized to it. 
after mm. a while. And Kiara's goodies sounds like I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to listen out of is that is that a G funk whistle or not? Because I generally um am into some of some music of that kind of era, but I think this might be just a bit later. Might be trying to go down crunk neighborhood. Um, <laughs> that was where I tuned out a bit. I, I all I heard was a, a song called "Goodies," and at no point did it break into a remix of the "Goodies" theme tune from the old uh, British TV comedy show. So I was just um, livid. I'm sure I was livid. Anyway, I'm gonna bring it home with a recap of Enterprises Home. And in Sorry. this in 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 this episode of Enterprise, Scott Bakula finally returned home. Oh, unlike Doctor Samuel Beckett. Always Love you, Sean. To remember. Who <laughs> 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 oh. I have been informed by our lawyers we can no longer infer pays for Twitter. Oh, oh dear. I mean, is it that he still pays for Twitter, but he's he getting the lawyers involved to stop us saying that? It's that he tricked me into playing the Lord of the Rings Super Nintendo game a few weeks ago at a convention, and so I feel like I have to stop now, or else he'll escalate and make me play it some more. Oh, oh yeah, we don't want that. No. Okay. Anyway, on that note, home. Bring it on home now. And engage. Yeah. So, yeah, there's been a lot that's gone on in Enterprise. And in some kind of unspeakable act, Earth has been turned into a backdrop of an early Halo game. It looks abysmal. The crew are on an extremely green screen, uh, screen stage for a ceremony where even the lighting looks weird. They're welcomed back and thanks for their whole war on terror arc during season three. Uh, in a bar, Archer, who's, you know, had his hair cut down into a much more serious mode now, meets his ex, Hernandez. She asks him about space as she's going to be captaining the NXO2, the Columbia. He doesn't want to spoil anything, though. Apparently, Earth's been on Amber Alert for a while and is fairly antsy about future attacks. But... This state of constant panic has meant more marriages and births in the face of impending doom. Up on the Enterprise, Trip sees T'Pol packing for Vulcan and laments for his hometown apparently died in the Space 9-11 that happened at some point in this show. His family are gone, Earth doesn't feel like home, and she offers him the guest room at her mum's place on Vulcan, and he accepts. Uh, we do get a brief look at the Columbia. It's being built still it looks you know mostly like the enterprise bridge set if you ripped it apart a bit and put some plastic sheeting up uh hernandez wants archer's opinion on a first officer and he deflects from this going oh didn't want the enterprise to be a warship and have guns on this unlike what jeffrey's i possibly the inventor of the jeffrey's tube uh originally you know, was saying, but I regret that now. Ooh, and nope, don't like that. Don't like that attitude at all. Um, Archer is sent to a hearing, and it's all about a time that he had to deal with a Vulcan ship where everyone got infected with emotions and it all got, got weird and they died. 
Uh, I'm guessing it's an episode we've not seen yet. And Vulcan High Council reckon could have done a bit better. And he loses it when he's questioned. Our alien of focus here, Phlox, is excitedly packing for Earth. And for him, that means all his freaky pets get to come along too. And Reed tries to warn him that, you know, Earth's suffering for, from a, a little touch of the old xenophobia. But he shrugs it off. You know, it, it'll be fine. He's been on Earth before. Trip gets all excited to see Vulcan and looks around and it looks kind of like the weird boxy sets from a Mass Effect game. And yeah, apparently Depaul didn't tell to mum about Trip visiting. That or or how they're together now, which apparently they're together now. Uh, to mum also has a message from Depaul's ex and wants her to speak to him. But, you know, that's an ominous thing. We'll put a pin in for now. Archer goes rock climbing and Hernandez shows up. She explains about, you know, all this heroism of Archer. There are so many schools named after him now. And she still wants his help with staffing uh, feedback. And he suggests take a bunch of Marines. Again, nope, not a fan of this uh, this new take from Archer. Uh, she does call him out on his cynicism, which good. Good job. Over on Vulcan, to mum wakes up to Paul and trip at 4am to sort out breakfast. So apparently guests have to make that. Uh, ideally with a lot of unspoken tension, if this breakfast is anything to go by. Over on Earth, Reed and Mayweather are hanging out on a bar with flocks. They're having a bit of a flirt with some ladies there until some guys come along and do a lot of racism at flocks. What's great though, it for racism's bad. There's a classic Star Trek bar brawl. Love it. Hey! Lot, of, hey, lot of rolling around, lot of punching. Flocks gets involved mainly by puffing up his face like a blowfish to freak them out. And after doing that, he kind of heads off quickly a little ashamed. So I think that might be the equivalent of flashing them for his people. Over on Vulcan, tripping to mum start getting on when he starts repairing things around the house traditional you know boyfriend coming around that's a bit handy with the technology kind of way uh she knew that they were dating it's obvious and this is all this all seems to be going so well that of course the ex has to show up this guy Cos is a bit of a tosser he's quite the nepo baby he says he oh, use... oh. there we go oh, oh. right <sighs> I, I love how you've been referring to us to mum. Well, I I did have the name. I I just forgot. I was like, no, to mum works. Let's, to mom. let's do that. I right, to mum. I, I, I don't think they ever refer to Hernandez by name in the entire episode. I think they did because I, I I can't I can't imagine I was organised enough to look it up. <laughs> right. And right, stopwatch and go. Okay, so, um, yes, Koss, this utter dick, he is uh, able to use his pull to help with any medical recovery that Paul's needed for previous events, shenanigans and things, and will get to mum reinstated from her high council job. As it turns out, oh no, she was let go, mainly after the Andorian incident and how, you know, her daughter let the Enterprise um, reveal the secret Vulcan base to some Andorians, because that, as it turns out, was a bit of a faux pas. 
Um, over on the mountains, it's gone to day tonight. Sorry, day for night filming. And Archer's talking about maybe we need to be a bit more like the Vulcans. Not in a logic way, but in clustering all your ships around defensively close to home and being off-putting to everyone around you. Uh, when it's actual night, Arch has a dream about being attacked by some aliens. I assume these are Vizindi. I've never seen them before. He wakes up. And there, there's a bit of a chat about, um, you know, he basically wants to avoid anyone calling him a hero because of all the actions he had to do in, in war. And when you're in a war on Terry, you're going to do some questionable things. And how Hernandez basically reminds him of season one Archer. And he doesn't know how to be that again. And hopefully he will, as this is a bit tedious of him. Um, but yeah, they kiss. Hey, well done, Archer. Maybe stop being such a grump. Uh, over on Vulcan, they're exploring soundstage mountains instead of real ones. And Paul explains that she will marry Koss. His, his reasons, they were shit, but they did make sense, logically. Trip is understandably pissed off at this. Uh, on Enterprise, Hoshi's getting checked out by Phlox. Apparently, she's got something parasite-based that was a problem. Again, probably a previous episode. She invites Phlox out for food back on Earth, and he's concerned about the racism. She gets angry about it, but is still not going. And that's that's the end of that story, apparently. He's just not going to show up on Earth ever again. At the hearing, everything is closed down and classified with the Vulcans. Archer does apologise to the Vulcan ambassador. And, you know, they agree his actions weren't good, but they were necessary. Uh, the Vulcan's like, yeah, in, in the long term, that probably would have done bad things to us. So good on you, mate. On Vulcan, it's time for a miserable wedding. Hooray! Trip dresses in T'Pol's dead dad's prequel-era Jedi formal wear. And uh, to mum says that, you know, you could always intervene in the wedding. And we end on a cliffhanger. Oh, dear. I mean, I assume they get married. I think they get married. Probably. All right. Um, three minutes. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that, it took me a moment to realize during the wedding. I'm not quite sure what T'Pol was wearing. It looked like, I don't know, somewhere between a nun and a, a kind of slightly offensive Roma, like, Halloween costume sort of thing as her wedding garb, but he looks so like he's trying to dress like Anakin. Like yeah, Anakin at a smart event. Um, which you don't take Anakin to a, a good event. It's it's wasted on him. Um, yeah, fuck. I hope Archer like Archer was nice in the like he was a bit down home, I'm going to do a racism about Vulcans kind of way, but in a way where you could feel it learn and grow. Apparently, they've finally discovered a difference between Archer and Trip, and it's that Trip is not going to be racist against Vulcans. He's going to be entirely the opposite now. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? Poor... poor uh, He's such a nice guy normally. It... It hurts me to see him like this. J Jonathan Archer came down with a bad case of the Jack Bowers. He did a bit. Like, th like this, like, when you were talking about it, like, your recap just made me go, oh, God, yep, yeah, this this episode is so post-24, post-9-11. It's so war where terror. It's, it's, oh. it's just, it is just that kind of 
that just kind of how how like pop culture was like western pop culture was for the longest time where it's basically people going yeah we just did morally dubious things for reasons we're trying to excuse as morally justified but we feel bad about it so therefore conflict I, and so therefore we're okay it's okay it's okay Miles. I, I've not seen any of season three of Enterprise. They're going to waterboard someone, aren't they? They're going to probably space waterboard someone. Oh, I, I, oh, like fucking it, hell! I don't get me wrong. Oh, a big attack happens. Of course, all your derangements are going to come out. But um, fuck, like yeah, um, twenty four has a lot to answer for. Uh, like, hang the, on, what? The common the commonness of that kind of attitude and those yeah. kind of you know again the whole torture thing so this is proven to be wrong and not effective it it was prior to the war on terror it has it is yeah ah so yeah so hang on when does when do we get the Battlestar galactica pilot um like when do we yeah is very much Oh, 2000, uh, okay, so 2004. Yeah, so same time so as this. this. Yeah. And, like, they still have that, they, they still have that kind of attitude, at least until, I think it's season three, when you have the Cylons occupying New Cobol. Oh, God, where and it you, suddenly feels like, oh, no, we're siding with the terrorists on this Yeah. One. Um... With New Caprica, which it was interesting and definitely in a lot of dialogue with this kind of thing and this kind of mentality. And I know Ron Moore was a military brat growing up, so of course he's going to swing a bit more in that, a bit more favorably in that direction. But at least he questioned the the purpose and the effectiveness of any of these kind of things. Where I mean, I again, I I'm I don't know what it's going to have been like in season three of enterprise i'm hoping because this is we've had a part one and part two kind of start this season this is the this feels like it's hopefully the end of that and the start mm. of new stuff because they get manny koto of like a future american horror story fame him involved as showrunner for this final stretch and i gather it gets a lot more starfleet the early years a lot more building yeah. the federation and i i look forward to that i hope that will not be like what we have seen here basically like god i the the thing i kept thinking of when i was watching this episode um it reminded me of a the chris claremont issues of uncanny x-men where the big storylines have finished mm -hmm. and it's basically the characters not getting into any fights but talking about their feelings oh, as they like, kind of um, come down. Uh, in, the, in the 90s, Scott Lobdell would do what were dubbed the quiet issues uh, between big events, which have exactly that, like uh, the, the wonderful Thanksgiving issue, actually, in Uncanny X-Men, I want to say, not 313 one of the early 300s but yeah exactly what you say there the kind of this is bridging it but more in a you know we're gonna decompress we're gonna check in with people you know hopefully 
hopefully they'll address the whole racism on Earth thing because it doesn't get concluded in a satisfactory way no. here. Like the Vulcans see Archer's point, and Archer learns to actually use his words rather than get all pissed off. Like, but Flocks, like he used to be fairly regular on Earth, you know? It was like, hey, we've got this guy. He's one of our scientists. Isn't this great, you know? Go off, do a space. All of that with him. Uh, but he was acclimatized to dealing with humans. And it would be nice if they come back round and go, oh, yeah, Earth isn't just racist. Or, you know, is it going to be the, like a lot of people with their with their bigoted grandparents going, well, one day they're going to die. Just mm. on a slightly longer scale. Yeah. Um, it like it's it's weird for Star Trek to give us something which doesn't have an answer. Yes. This is why we um this is why uh we have our our lowest spot being lifters where suffering cannot reach. It it may seem a bit much to go I want an answer in in a Star Trek to go actually you've presented this problem but going that's it there's a problem and leaving um yeah in a in an episode of television especially in a a franchise which does tend to go through you know equilibrium distortion equilibrium kind of things even if there are some changes here and there yeah it's it's a little unsatisfactory and i don't know just the tone of it all felt it it's it's kind of it's kind of a sour note because you don't have a point where like i don't know where Malcolm and Meriwether go and find the bar guys and beat the shit out of them. Yeah. Yeah. If, if like Reed Mayweather and maybe Hoshi just rounding them up going, right, you know, there are some people being real bigots. Let's beat the fuck out of them. And then just go and chill and have some, some yeah. nice food at a restaurant. Yeah. Uh- Okay. Again, you've got the definitely post like Y2K where Ar- Archer Archer can't cry about his feelings. He of has to get not. moody and climb a mountain. No, because that's just not where masculinity was at that point in time. Well, you know, it's too manly for those kind of things. He 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 did things. He did things out and he did things out there which he he can't cope with and has to be just angry and aggressive to everyone. He has to you know, push people away because he's a man now. You know who would be a bit more functional about this? It's it's Charles Tucker III, Trip of all oh, people. Yeah. Trip. When we were like watching Strange New World, duh, the episode of Enterprise, where Trip was a real racist. Um, they referenced that episode in this episode. Yeah. Because they referenced the planet where they go crazy and try to kill each other. Yes. They did that. They referenced the Andorian incident. It's like, shit, I know some of this. <laughs> oh my god, Holy shit. I've retained it's, some of it's, Enterprise. It's lo- oh my god, I'm excited about Enterprise lore. God, That's what, what this show what has done, done to me. <laughs> but yeah, I never thought that Trip would be the, the tolerant one out of the two of them. Um, but yeah, and he, he, you know, gives good parent. Like, you know, to mum gets on with him. Yeah, um, to the point of going. Oh, if you wanna, if you wanna wreck this wedding, that'll if, get me reinstated. If you, if you want, if you want to do an ending of the graduate, 
<laughs> do it. Do God, it. I, I would hope that it would be happier than that. <laughs> God, I mean, who, I, I don't know how much older than Topol he is, but, you know, maybe. Maybe it is more oh. fitting than I think. Like, I, I, I do like that we do see, like, okay, Cos, what a shit. Oh but my I God, do like I, I do like how Tamum just comes like starts off looking at Trip like he's kind of something very awkward that DePaul's just brought home. And and then just kind of going, you know, if you wanna call shit at a wedding, I wouldn't mind. I think yeah. Vulcans is You think that like we're logical, but we are not averse to some drama. Well, like you, you know that Vulcans love that to drink that tea. Hell yeah! Well, you get um, like even in this episode, like uh, to Paul says about you know we're not without art. Like they appreciate art, yeah, the music, all of that. They just have a very yeah kind of repressed, like purposefully internal side to it all. Like you can probably imagine like their art is kind of would be sort of like therapeutic yeah like it's a it's a it's a way to deal with is it's a way to con- to deal with our emotions because mm. it, it never you know it like it, it seems like you know that the Vulcan attitude to emotions is this is something we keep under control because it's it's otherwise it's overwhelming it's all dominating um okay. but yeah I God, like, I've worked a lot of weddings, and I feel like a Vulcan wedding is either going to be really dull, or they consummate right there and then, and it's going to be kind of hot. <laughs> or, or it's going to, given that a lot of, like, Vulcan, like, the, the Vulcan hand gesture is based on a, on a particular subsect of Jewish Kabbalah, uh, maybe Vulcans do the bit where they have the bride and groom in the chairs, and then just start dancing around with them in the chairs. Because let me tell you, the most exciting wedding I ever worked was a Jewish wedding. I mean, it does sound like it'd be good fun. But yeah, like, um, I feel kind of bad because like we, we picked this episode for a particular thing and mm. that's like, that's the D plot. Yeah, it is way less than I thought it would be. Like we look at very brief synopses and go, right, themes, this. And yeah, it is frankly the one of the worst parts of this. Like we get a classic Barbaral, so I guess it puts it above Archer and his attitude. His, his let, let's be honest, it's the right era to say it. His man pain. Yes, it is we're it, we're in. This is in the era of man pain. Oh, he's had to like, do horrible, despicable things, and it's too much for a man to emote about it. Like in a, in a cut in a couple in like a couple months time we're gonna get Christopher Eccleston like lamenting the time war in the first season of Return of Modern Doctor Who, and then a year after that we're gonna get David Tennant who just turns into man pain, and it's just like if you ask me the part about Modern Doctor Who that has aged the worst, it is the show's propensity for fucking man pain. Because oh, of the time war. Just forlornly stare into middle distance, but not never emote about it. Never. Yeah. Just okay. have your hair tremble dramatically. 
Ideally, yeah. Like, have your eyes look like, you know, you would cry if you could, but you can't. You can't. Oh, on that note, uh, where does this belong? Like, Oof. it's not as bad as Future Tense. No, like, this is... It's good, but not great. Yeah. Like, and this is no... This is no Carbon Creek, and this is definitely no Andorian Incident. Yeah, it's so the good, the good, the trip bits getting to see about Vulcan. Um, is that it? Like, it's nice seeing the some of the NXO2 stuff, but we'll get more of that down the line, I'm sure. Like, we, we get to see a really bad CG Scott Bakula get oh. chucked off a cliff and fall to his death. Mm. Like, with all the um, all the computer know-how of, okay, we're just gonna make the image really small as he falls, and that'll be it for the special effects. So, this is six years after the Voyager episode that we've seen, and it somehow looks so much worse. Like, that opening shot which you equated to Halo 3, it reminded me of a cutscene of Win from the Wing Commander games when they went full FMV. This is the second time I brought up the FMV elements of the Wing Commander games in this show because I think we we're talking. I brought it up last episode. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously it was an important part of your life. Yeah, like this is we're on Babylon Five levels of green screen, and hell, the shuttlecraft gets better billing at the um, award ceremony. Than they do because they're behind the shuttle when they're giving the big speech. Yeah. Um. So, like, is it better than Broken Bow? Like their pilot for this. Yes, I'm okay. gonna say yes. Is it better than? In fact, let's shoot up a bit. Is it better than Encounter at Farpoint? On a technical level, on a technical level, yes. Really? Um, on a <laughs> on a writing level, um, it doesn't have any of the fun. But like you know, Scott Bakula isn't clearly despairing that his career is going to die. Um, unlike Patrick Stewart, so there is that. There is no sense of like you look at the actors who are in this, and there is no sense of genuine shame that they're in this. There is that. There is that. So I am gonna say yes. This is better than a counter at Farpoint, but this is not better than Move Along Home. No, God no. And well, let's do a subdued Alamarine. 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 Okay, so yeah. Um. Uh, is this better or worse than Justice? Oh, now Justice is bad, but in that good way. Yeah, I, I would rewatch Justice. Over there, so not yeah, a, I, not in a good way, but yeah, but yeah I would rewatch I it and I, laugh at it. But I, I would, yeah, I would watch it for the oiled bodies and the and the, and the fun running. So I think that this is better than a counter at Farpoint, but worse than Justice. Yeah, that feels like a good place for it. So yeah, that puts it in the new sixty-two out of all of the uh, the episodes we got. So, oh, two out of 74. That's it. So, you can check us out here in podcast land 
every fortnight on a Monday. Uh, you can go to our Kofi if you want to be like Cheryl and suggest a theme. And, you know, if you want to suggest an episode, that's cool. We'll build, we'll pick another couple that fit that episode or something in it. But, um, yeah, this was good fun. And next time we are doing a spotlight on another character who has been in multiple Star Treks. And that is Mr. Worf. So, yeah, get your bat lefts out. And um, and be get your bat lifts out and your prune June ready. Yeah. Outside of the show, you can find me at Faked Tales, where I talk about indie RPGs, uh, SkyShark.itch.io for my comics, and over at Blue Sky, where I'm SkyShark. And yeah, you'll get to see some horrific things from the early 2000s X-Men comics. What about you, Mars? Um, you can find you can find me on my blog at mareadlaberto.wordpress.com, and you can find me on blue on uh, blue sky occasion membering to kind of rebuild my uh, my um my numbers after having to leave Twitter at and I, you will find me at milesreadlaberto.bsky.social. You can find our Blue Sky account for the show on casualtrek.bluesky.social and that's it. No other social media platforms to talk about at all worth knowing. And with that, I have been Charlie. He has been Miles. No, wait! I have been Miles. Hang on. He has been Charlie. <laughs> and, yeah. This is Casual Trek. Yeah, if you were ever certain that anyone on Earth wasn't an infiltrating Vulcan, it's going to have been us too. Yes, we, we talk we talk about weird stuff for too long and have emotions about it. Yes, yes, we do. And yeah, go, have emotions, and uh, go do a Starfleet. Have emotions and have a jelly baby. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.